Amen. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad we are made in God's image rather than him being made in our image? If he was made in our image, we'd be weak, puny. Uh, We'd serve a weak God, but he is mighty to save. Let's worship him in the reading of his word. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Here at LifeBridge, we live, believe in uh, sola scriptura. We believe the scriptures are inerrant. They are authoritative. They are clear. They are sufficient. And they are necessary for our salvation. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. If you need a pew Bible, there's one in front of you in the pew. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that He had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word revealed to us. We are thankful, Lord, that in this passage, you are reminding us that you have given us everything we need to be a healthy church, to be a growing church, to be a unified church. Lord, to be a church that is effective in reaching the lost and building up your people. And so, Lord, the resources, the revelation, it's all here. And yet we need to unite what we're hearing today with faith in our hearts. May we be doers of the word and not hearers only. And may we grow and be more unified and be more healthy as a church for what we hear this morning. This is our heart cry in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing this morning in a series we began last Sunday, a series called Re-Engage the Church. And so this is week two in that series, and I'm glad you're here for it. Uh, Like many of you, uh, every year I am highly encouraged, I put that in quotes, by my medical insurance to do two things, to get a wellness exam and then to take an online health exam assessment. Now, I have done this for several years now, and although I don't really enjoy it, uh, especially the the lab work part of it, there are some benefits to going through that process of a wellness exam 
and taking this online health, exam, uh, online health assessment. First of all, I get immediate results on the status of my health. And second, I have to admit, I'm a little more health conscious. I'm a little more aware of my health, especially when it comes to my exercise or lack thereof and what I eat, so my diet, uh, which is the whole reason that my medical insurance motivates me or I might say manipulates me, to get a wellness exam and to take a health assessment. They want me to have a healthy body. Well, because it saves them money. And that's what health insurance is all about, save them money. And, uh, and they want me to have a healthy body as well. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul describes for us another body. And that is the body of Jesus Christ, which is the church. And we should be even more concerned about its health. We should listen closely to what Paul has to say about this particular body. For we as Christ followers, if you claim to be a Christ follower, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of this body. And we should pay attention because unlike a lot of healthy opinions, this is eternal truth. I have to admit, I'm not too sure about some of the latest fads when it comes to diets and vitamins and health shakes, but I am confident, I'm sure about the Apostles' instructions here in Ephesians 4. In fact, this plan will do a body good. And so if you want to learn about the church, Ephesians is one of the best places to turn in the Bible. In fact, in chapters 1 through 3 of the book of Ephesians, Paul unveils for us the whole plan of God. And that is God's plan is to redeem and then create for himself a church through his son, Jesus Christ. And as we saw last Sunday, in chapter 2, Paul defines who makes up the church. He defines the composition of the church. And the church is comprised of anyone and everyone who believes that Jesus Christ is Lord, regardless of their race, regardless of their social status. And in chapter 3, Paul defines the church's goal in which he created. And that is to display the, the manifold wisdom of God, to display the glory of God through Jesus Christ. In fact, that's the first half of the book of Ephesians. First three chapters out of six. And now we come to chapter 4. In chapter 4 here, Paul begins to help us understand how the church should function in light of such a miracle that he redeemed you and created us to be part of his body, to be in the church. In fact, look how Paul begins this section again in Ephesians 4, verse 1. Look how he starts. Very important, very interesting. He says, I therefore, and of course we see the word therefore, which means Paul is alluding to everything that he's written before this. All of chapters 1, 2, and 3 that he has said. And so in light of chapters 1 through 3, he says, Therefore, I am a prisoner for the Lord, and I urge you now to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, God has called us to himself in salvation. And particularly, he has called you and I to himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is urging us to walk in a manner that is worthy of that calling. Especially since, as we learned last Sunday, this calling involves privileges. It involves responsibilities in the church, in the body of Christ. In other words, Paul wants to help us understand how we should fulfill our calling that we've been called to. We might say it this way. Paul wants us to get a health, a wellness exam. Paul wants us to take a health assessment as a church here at LifeBridge. Now, in other places in the Bible, we see the external mission of the church being defined. Such as when Jesus, and we looked at this last Sunday, when he talks about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where he says the primary purpose of the church is essentially, it is to make disciples. And of course, here at LifeBridge, we have defined that in a way, make disciples who do four things. 
as we alluded to last Sunday, who, who know Christ, who are growing in Christ, who show Christ, and who go with Christ. That's our purpose here as a church, and to do that by bridging the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that is the mission of our church. That's the external mission, you might say here. In here in Ephesians 4, though, Paul is focusing more specifically on the internal function of the church, which is kind of the stepping stone or the launching pad upon which we fulfill the mission of the church that Jesus defines for us in the Great Commission. So what is a healthy church? And how do we go about assessing if our church, specifically here at LifeBridge, is a healthy church or not? Well, here's what Paul is showing us, and here's what we're going to see. A healthy church is this. A healthy church is one where everyone in the church is reengaging the church. It's one where everyone that is a part of the body of Christ is reengaging the body of Christ. And so the church is not simply a gathering, but it is a gathering of the called out ones. You see, to be called by God is to be called to a new life in Christ. And this new life, listen to me, it is also a call to other believers in the body of Christ. Therefore, a healthy church. It is one where everyone who's been called by Christ in salvation is reengaging one another. It's re-engaging the body of Christ. It's re-engaging the church of Jesus Christ. So what does that look like to be a healthy church now, specifically? Well, Paul shows us that. He defines that for us here in Ephesians chapter 4. And we see, first of all, that a healthy church is marked by unity and salvation. Paul writes in verse 3, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, we see here that unity is active. It's not passive. And so we should be eager. In other words, we ought to be zealous to maintain the unity that we have. And notice that we do not work to create this unity, but rather we work to maintain or to keep this unity. Why? Because God is the one who unites us and we are the ones who are to, that should seek to maintain, in the words of Paul, the unity of the spirit that we've been given in salvation. And Paul tells us that this comes through the bond of peace. First of all, it comes through peace with God himself, the Father. We've been reconciled back to God. We now have peace with God. Our standing before God is now the way it should be. But in that reconciliation to God the Father, we also have peace, or we should have, with one another in the body of Jesus Christ. This is the glue, this bond of peace that holds us together as a church family. That's why Paul says in verse 2, look at it, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And that brings us to verses 4 through 6 which was probably, more than likely, an early Christian creed or confession that Paul quotes here or cites. Paul writes in verses 4 through 6, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so you hear in that refrain this repeated word, One, 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 seven different times, Paul points out these one statements to emphasize what? The oneness that we share together in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in our salvation. In fact, Paul grounds this unity that should mark the church of Jesus Christ on a gospel confession or a gospel creed. Notice it. We are united by the gospel confession of one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that everyone who is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, is saved by the same God and believes in the same Lord, is filled 
by the same Spirit, is comforted by the same hope, and is baptized in the same baptism, which means that we share the same identity with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. We are one body indwelt by one Spirit with the same hope of being redeemed by the work of our Savior. We also, we share the same testimony with one another. We testify that Jesus Christ is what? He is Lord of all. He is King of kings. We testify that faith in Christ's work on our behalf is the only means of salvation. There is no other means of salvation. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than Jesus Christ. In our baptism, we testify that we are cleansed of our sin and we are united to Jesus Christ by his grace alone. We not only share the same identity, we not only share the same testimony, we share the same family. Listen, we are God's adopted children. We share the same father. This means we are one Big adopted family. We may not always be one big happy family, but we are one big adopted family regardless of our race, regardless of our social status. Now, obviously, life in God's church will test or challenge our patience. There is no doubt about that. As There are people, even in our church, from all different stages of spiritual maturity in the church. And if we aren't careful, we can respond in one of three ways when our patience with one another is challenged or tested. We might bounce around from church to church, just hoping to find that, quote, perfect church that meets our preferences and our needs and our wants and our comforts and conveniences. Or two, we we might come to church just in time to sit and then we quickly leave when the service concludes so that we don't have to be bothered by the burden of meeting one another and knowing their problems or knowing who they are and just life about them. Or we might even just stop going to church altogether. But Paul provides for us a key principle to combat all those temptations. When he says in verse 2, notice it, bearing with one another in love. Oh, oh, that's a hard thing. I have to be honest with you. It is easy to have unity and peace when you guard yourselves from knowing those in the church. And you guard yourself from allowing yourself to be known by others in the church. But that is not unity in the spirit. That is superficial unity. It's not real. And it's easy to avoid those who might challenge your patience. But that's not bearing with one another in love. Listen, the reality is the believers around us in our church, are redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen to me, their sin is no more impossible to deal with than your sin or even my sin. You see, there's this beautiful tension in the church that we need to embrace. You see, on the one hand, we are still so far from the church that we will one day be in glory Listen, one day our sins will be no more and no one will be hurt by our offenses and sins of other believers. But on the other hand, this gathered body that we are a part of, it is the closest we will get to that glory here on earth. Yes, in heaven, we will live eternally with people who are different than us, but who have been redeemed in full by Jesus Christ. But until that day, the local church, and Paul talks about this in chapter 3 of Ephesians, the local church was redeemed and created by God to actually display the power of God in a way that the Rocky Mountains can't. And that's saying a lot because I love the Rocky Mountains. And they display the beauty and grandeur and majesty of God. And yet, Paul is telling us here 
especially in chapter 3, that the church of Jesus Christ displays the manifold wisdom of God and the power of God in Jesus Christ through our salvation in ways that nothing else can. The church is unique. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. The gospel of Jesus Christ unites, think about it, ordinary people like us, broken people like us by grace. And this is the beauty of the church. But inside of this unity is a wonderful diversity, which brings us to number two. A healthy church is marked by diversity in gifts. Now, unity does not mean sameness. It doesn't mean uniformity. And we all say amen to that. Our diversity, though, enriches the church. In fact, it blesses the church. In verses 7 through 12 here of chapter 4 of Ephesians, Paul shows us how the church, with all its glorious diversity, functions in a healthy way, or at least should function. You say, well, how are we different? Well, the diversity that Paul emphasizes here is a diversity in spiritual gifts. And so notice this, a couple of observations. First of all, Christ gave you the gifts that he knows our church needs. And to that I say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Christ gave you the gifts that he knows our church needs here at LifeBridge. Look what Paul says in verse 7 again. He says, but grace was given to each one of us. Each of us who are believers in Christ. According to... To the measure of Christ's gift. Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And so every believer has been given a, quote, grace gift that enables the church to grow. Now notice this is not saving grace that Paul is alluding to, but rather it is ministry grace. You are saved by grace and you are equipped or empowered in grace to do ministry in and through the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul highlights here for us Christ's authority in giving those gifts as well as Jesus' generosity in giving those gifts. When he quotes Psalm 68 in verse 8. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That's emphasizing the authority of Christ because he ascended from death, but also the generosity of Jesus Christ. This means you are not an accident in the body of Christ. Christ has given you the exact gifts that he knows our church here at LifeBridge needs. Now, it's obvious, people can go a little bit overboard trying to discern exactly what their spiritual gift is or the gifts that they have. And I think the best way to begin that process, to discern your spiritual gift, is simply to ask yourself a couple of questions. Well, what am I passionate about, first of all, and what are some of my skills? And then just start serving in ministry. Just start plugging in and serving. And as you serve in ministry, you will begin to discern what your gift is. And here's the other part of it. Others that you are serving with, your co-laborers, as well as your pastors, will be able to confirm for you what your gifts are as well. Now, with that being said, I also want to caution you about something caution you about comparing your gifts with other people's gifts or even bemoaning the gifts that God gave you. Yes, Jesus gives different gifts to different people, but Jesus does not give lesser gifts to some people and greater gifts to other people. Listen, your gift is not measured by how Jesus sees your value. Your gift is measured by the immense value of his sacrifice for you. 
Jesus gave you the gifts that he did for a purpose. That's why Paul adds here in verse 10, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. In other words, Jesus saving work in your life. It provides you with this wonderful opportunity, this wonderful purpose in using your gifts in and through his redeemed church. And so Christ has given you the gift or gifts, whether it's singular or plural, I happen to believe it's more likely plural here, that he knows that our church needs. We should be grateful for the gifts that we've been given by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. We should not compare those gifts with others. And we should not bemoan the gifts that we've been given because we don't like the gifts and we wish we had some, another gift, a different gift. We should be grateful. It is given to us by the authority of Jesus Christ. It's given to us out of the generosity of Jesus Christ. Give thanks for the gift that you have. Why? Because our church now is entrusted with pastors to equip the saints. That's the second observation here. Paul writes in verses 11 and 12, look at it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now Paul is mentioning here those in very unique positions of leadership in the church. He mentions the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He focuses on leaders here who are entrusted to the church as gifts to equip the saints in the church. Now, the titles that Paul uses here for apostles and prophets have a very broad range of meaning. In fact, we looked at these two titles last Sunday already. In the word apostle, in and of itself, that word simply means sent ones. And in a very technical sense, this word apostle, it refers to the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ and who were personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel and to establish the church. Prophets, on the other hand, were these bold proclaimers of God's revelation. They spoke the word of God to the people of God by supernatural revelation. And as I mentioned already, last Sunday we saw back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, that the church is built on the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And so the apostles and prophets had this foundational ministry, and you only lay a foundation of a building once. The apostles and prophets, they guided the early church. They guarded the early church until the New Testament canon was complete. And now that we have the complete revelation of Scripture before us in our hands, listen, their unique ministry is no longer needed, nor is it present in the same way today. The evangelists that Paul alludes to here are those gifted in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, you go to Acts chapter 21, verse 8, and Luke there, he calls Philip the evangelist. Later on, Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy, and he tells this young pastor, he exhorts Timothy to do the work of an evangelist in 2 Timothy 4, 5. And so it seems that there are some who are uniquely gifted as an evangelist, while every one of us who profess to be Christ followers, listen, we are called to evangelize. How? By by simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That's how. And then Paul mentions shepherds, also translated sometimes in our Bibles as pastor and teachers. Now, the grammar here, the Greek grammar in particular, indicates that these two terms, shepherds and teachers, describe one role. We might say it this way, pastor-teachers, one role. And the primary function of pastors-teachers, or the primary function of a shepherd, is to lead the flock and to feed the flock. Now, when we think of a church, we typically think of of pastors who do ministry. And indeed, pastors do. But here's the question, what is their ministry? 
Well, Paul makes it abundantly clear here that pastor teachers are actually gifts from Christ to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. So pastors, in other words, what this means, are not necessarily given to do all the work of the ministry in a church. Rather, they are given to the church to equip the saints in the body of Christ to do the work of ministry. Now, this doesn't mean, obviously, that pastors are above serving. The pastors should not serve even in menial roles. It doesn't mean that. But the primary service or ministry that the church needs from pastors is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the primary means in which they do that is through the teaching and preaching of God's word, through sound doctrine. This word equip. It's, it's a really interesting word, and it means to make fit, to, to make ready, or to prepare for something. And that's why, that's why we're offering, that's why we're having, have scheduled a discovery hour, and we're even calling it what? Equipping meeting. Why? Because we, we feel it's necessary, it's part of our role as pastor teachers here at LifeBridge, to equip the saints, and specifically those saints who are either leading, teaching, or serving during our discovery hour, along with those who lead, teach, or serve in our kingdom kids. And so that's why we're scheduling this. And getting ready to relaunch our discovery hour, we need to do some equipping. We need to make you ready. We need to prepare you and get us ready for the relaunching of this. And so that's why we're hosting this. And that's why we encourage you, if you're a part of this, come. And maybe you haven't served in Discovery Hour, but you're interested. Come, be a part of it. Register online. Go to our church's website and register that you're going to be a part of this training, this equipping on Saturday, September the 11th, beginning at 9 o'clock to around 1130, down in our multipurpose room. And it will be a great time. I encourage you to be a part of it. But there's a third observation here. And that is, you are equipped to serve in the work of the ministry. You're equipped to do this, to serve. Now, there's this motto for a church, every member a minister. And that is a great motto, but it's more than just a great motto for a church. It's also the biblical motto. Every member a minister. Every member in the body of Christ is a minister of Christ. In other words, every one of us here this morning who professes to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, every one of us has a work of ministry to fulfill. Because, as we've already seen, we all have a spiritual gift that is given to us by Jesus Christ. Which means serving in the church is everyone's responsibility. The goal here is not to be simply consumers of the church, but rather to be servants in the church. So let me ask, are you serving in the work of ministry here at LifeBridge? And if not, let us help you to find that work of ministry, that ministry where you can serve the body of Christ using your gifts and talents and abilities. This phrase, the work of ministry, it actually refers to practical Christian service. You may not have the gifting to teach. You may not have the qualifications to lead as a pastor or teacher or even as a ministry team leader. You may not even have the talent to stand up here and sing like Jeremy led us and Bill and Kim. But there is still a work of ministry here at LifeBridge for you to participate in. What's interesting is this is not the first time that Paul has mentioned this term work. You go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and there in verse 10, Paul said that God has actually saved us for good works. The question is, are you using your spiritual gifts for good works 
in the work of ministry at LifeBridge. You may be wondering, wow, Bruce, what's the big deal? I'm just one person. Surely nobody's going to miss me participating in ministry. Surely nobody's going to miss my gift or gifts being used in ministry. Why are you emphasizing this? Well, one, because Paul is. It's in the scriptures. But why is this such a big deal? Why is Paul highlighting that everyone has a responsibility to serve in the church? Here's the big deal. Paul says you serving in ministry is for building up the body of Christ. That's why it's a big deal. Building up. It's actually an architectural term that is used for erecting a house from the foundation up. In other words, the goal of serving is to build up the household of God, as we learned that term last Sunday. This means that we all, every one of us here, we have a corporate responsibility to one another to use our spiritual gifts in ministry. May we never squander our gifts. May we never neglect the gifts that Christ has given to us. They were given by his authority. They were given in his generosity to you. Listen, those gifts, listen, they are blood bought and are to be used for the building up of his church that he has redeemed and created so that he could declare the manifold wisdom and his glory to the world. Now, there are several opportunities here that we're highlighting right now, which we need people to step up and serve in. You can find those in your notes. They're also on that supplemental handout. For example, this Saturday, our community block party. Listen, our our community events are great opportunities for, for people, to just everyone to plug in and serve. It's low commitment. It's easy. Everyone can plug in and serve in some capacity in the community block party. In our nursery, my wife, who is over that ministry, she, she's always in need of, of more people who would be willing to serve on a rotation basis and serve at least one Sunday a month. And you're like, I don't even like kids. That's all right. We'll still take you. Well, maybe not, but... <laughs> but in all seriousness, we're always in need. We... we we have a ton of kids in our nursery right now. In fact, she's had to expand it from two people serving in there to now three people a Sunday. And so we're in need. And maybe that's some place where you would be willing to serve. In our kids' ministries. And, of course, we, man, well, I, kids matter to the Lord. Kids are valuable to the Lord. And we want to minister all the kids we have here in our church And so maybe you'd be willing to serve during our discovery hour. Maybe you'd be willing to serve in Awana clubs on Wednesday night. Maybe you'd be willing to serve during this worship hour and help out Gwen Regas, who's sitting back there, and serve in our kingdom kids during this hour. If so, let us know. Maybe you'd be willing to help serve and maybe even teach in our student ministry, our live student ministries, and help out Zach and Sarah. Our first impressions ministry. I mean, this is another low-commitment, easy ministry to plug into. It doesn't take a lot of talent or gifting, really, to be a part of this. It's be a greeter. Just put a smile on your face. Stand outside with Paul and Kara like they were this morning and just extend a welcome hand or at least a smile in the age of COVID and just say, hi, welcome to LifeBridge. We're glad you're here. And so we're having a First Impressions team meeting on Sunday, September 12th. If you're interested in serving as a greeter, whether that's once or twice a month, come and be a part of that meeting on Sunday, September 12th, 9.30 in the morning. I hope you'll consider it. Our hospitality ministry, uh, as we relaunch our discovery hour, Lord knows we we need coffee at 9.30, right? And so, but that takes somebody coming earlier than 9.30 to go to the kitchen and prepare and make the coffee and take it to our adult classrooms and even our a live student ministry classroom, our, our coffee, so that we can enjoy that. Would you be willing to do that? Let us know if you will. Our grow group, you can use your house to host a grow group. Uh, Todd could always use help in the media booth, serving in the, uh, on the audiovisual team, our lawn care praise team, all these different ministries. And there's more than just this. This is not the exhaustive list. Maybe there's a ministry that's not listed, and you're like, I'm interested in this. 
Fill out the connection card. Let us know. Talk to Chris or I in person and let us know. And so we're seeing that healthy churches are marked by, first of all, unity and salvation, and then diversity in gifts. And now we see, number three, that a healthy church is marked by maturity in Christ. The result of the church's unity and diversity is the church's maturity. Notice again what Paul writes here in verses 13 through 15. Paul says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. You say, what's Paul saying here? He's basically saying this. He wants us all to grow up into Jesus Christ. That's simply what he's saying. He wants us to mature in our walk with the Lord. In our journey, if you will, as we call it in Philippians. To grow up. He uses the language of mature manhood in verse 13, and then he contrasts that with children in verse 14. And notice that while we are doing the work of ministry, we are growing into maturity. Now, this is somewhat opposite of what we tend to think. Because we tend to think that you must be fully mature before you can serve in the church. You've got to grow up before you can ever serve in the church. But Paul is telling us that serving is actually the means or one of the means of growing in maturity. Which means growing always includes serving. To say it negatively, there is no growing apart from serving. That's not my words. That's what Paul is saying here. That is the implication or the application of what he's writing to us here. So this maturity in Christ, notice it, a couple of observations here. Together, as a body of Christ, together, we want to do two things. We want to grow in Christ-likeness. The ultimate picture of maturity is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul means when he says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, Christ's fullness is an expression of completion or or perfection. And this makes sense. You see, the goal for us is to be what? Is to be more like Jesus Christ. The goal is to grow in Christ's likeness. It's not to grow in my likeness. God forbid that. My wife would say amen to that. No, it's to grow in Christ-likeness. Or as Paul put it in verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, obviously, this goal will ultimately be fulfilled in eternal glory. But until then, Until that day comes, either when you die or when Jesus returns, until that day, Paul is urging us here, going back to verse 1, he's urging us to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And we've been, yes, called to eternal glory. And that calling, listen, that we have in the future, it's our future hope, it should govern how we live and how we function now in the church. It should motivate us to grow in Christ's likeness. Yes, individually, but also corporately as a church. And so together, we want to grow in Christ's likeness. And together, number two, we want to guard against deception. Listen, there will always be threats to the truth of Jesus Christ. There will always be opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those threats are sometimes in the church, and sometimes they are outside of the church. And it is our responsibility to guard against those threats, to guard against the schemes and the cunningness and the deception 
that comes about. Paul says in verse 14, look at it. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Paul, what he's doing here, he's highlighting for us the instability of children. As you know, if you have children, they are easily gullible. They are easily deceived. As Paul says, tossed to and fro by the waves. These storm-tossed waves, they will drive, especially children in the faith or immature Christians in the faith, from one extreme to the other. And the proof that these childish Christians... And I say that in a, in a respectful way, because Paul, what he's alluding to, is they're simply immature. They haven't grown up in the faith. Is, is they are lost at sea, and they are carried about by every wind of doctrine. And this term, carried about, it's actually, it was used for sick people being carried on the beds in Mark chapter 6, verses 55. And this is what happens to a church or even individual Christians who is not committed to sound doctrine. They are like little children in an unprotected nursery. It's like a rudderless ship on a stormy sea. And in contrast, Paul is saying that the church is marked by not this, but marked by maturity. And is able now, when we are growing up, we are able to guard against deception. As one pastor writes, H.B. Charles, he says, the church needs to be mature enough to know what not to say amen to. The church needs to be mature enough to know what preachers not to listen to. The church needs to be mature enough to know to stand firm against the changing winds of false doctrine. Listen, when we are marked by maturity, and that doesn't mean we're mature perfectly. All at once. It is a process. It is progressively. That is, we are growing. When we're marked by this, we are not able to guard against deception. We are no longer unstable in our faith. We're growing in Christ. We're no longer susceptible to false doctrines. We are grounded in the Word of God. We are no longer gullible to flashy counterfeits. We don't add to the gospel, nor do we subtract from the gospel. In fact, the goal is what Paul writes at the end of verse 15. This is the goal for our church. It's the goal for every believer here in Jesus Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That is our church's goal. We want, it is my desire, it is Pastor Chris's desire, it is the desire of our ministry team leaders to help every believer here at LifeBridge to grow in Jesus Christ. This is why we are committed to relaunching the Discovery Hour on September the 19th with classes for all ages, in stages. Our desire for you as a Christ follower is that you, in the words of Peter in 2 Peter 3.18, that you would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we believe here at LifeBridge that the teaching of God's word is essential to growing in Jesus Christ. Say, what does a healthy church look like? Well, Paul has shown us here in Ephesians chapter 4 that a healthy church is, first of all, it is marked by unity in salvation. He has shown us that a healthy church is marked by diversity in gifts, and it is marked by maturity in Christ. But listen to me, this kind of health that Paul's talking to, it will never happen on your own apart from the church of Jesus Christ. But only as we re-engage the church. This is the practical application of what Paul is making here in Ephesians 4. In fact, look what he writes in verse 16. He says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each 
part is working properly. What does that mean? It means when we are all, when we have unity in our salvation, when we are using the diversity of our gifts for the work of the ministry, and when we all are growing in maturity. And when that is all taking place among the body of Christ here at LifeBridge, notice what Paul says. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That is the result of engaging or re-engaging the church. Notice this. When everyone is re-engaging the church, Paul tells us that the body is healthy. And it is built up in love. Now, in conclusion, I fully admit it is wise, it is good to be health conscious. Listen, taking care of our physical bodies is a good Thing. Paul even tells Timothy that it's a good thing. So go for it. Take care of your physical bodies. It's a good thing. But let me tell you, let me encourage you to consider, let us be more concerned about the health of this local body of Christ here at LifeBridge. My prayer is this. I pray that we would re-engage the church in such a way that people will say, that's a healthy church. That church is healthy. They sense it. They see it. They experience it. They feel it. They just, they just know it. When they're around us, when they come and worship with us, when they gather with they wow, that church has a spirit about it. That church, the presence of Christ meets with them. That church is healthy. They're engaged. They want to learn God's word. They want to grow in Christ. That church is healthy. I pray that people would say that about us. But I also hope that they will also say they love each other like family. And they welcome everyone. May that be true of LifeBridge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word through the Apostle Paul here in Ephesians chapter 4. Lord, we are privileged to be redeemed and to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. It is a privilege to be part of this church. And yet, Lord, with that privilege comes responsibilities. We've been gifted to serve, and so let us find our place in which to exercise those gifts and ministry. Lord, protect our unity, and may we do our part in seeking to maintain that unity. And Lord, help us to have a desire and a craving for your word that we would grow in Christ's likeness and that we would guard against the deceptions that are all around us. And so, Lord, this is your church, not mine. May you take it, may you use it for the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to bridge the gap with the gospel so that more people will come to know the saving grace of Jesus in the eternal hope that we have in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Listen, we have one more Sunday. I invite you to come back next Sunday as we will continue and re-engage the church on a passage of scripture that I am so excited about. But until then, man, leave here and I hope you will consider this, think about this, And ask the Lord, help me to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ in a way that he has called us to. That I would walk worthy of the calling of Christ. Jeremy, come on up along with the praise team. And we're going to stand and sing one last song in worship to Jesus Christ. And just you sing with a thankful heart of how he has redeemed you and made you a part of his church.